gorgeous time of the year, isn't it? See the Lord paint the sides of our roads and around our homes and such with the beauty of uh, his hand. And we're so appreciative of, of the, uh, the things that are before us. Please open your Bibles. James, no surprise there. But follow along as I'll begin at verse 13 and be reading on through the end of the chapter. James 1 at verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted, and he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then... When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he, he beholding himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh unto the perfect law of her liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Pray our God will bless these words in our hearts as good seed sown upon good soil. Let's pray. Lord, again, we approach this letter of James uh, written to uh, a scattered community of believers uh, far from our time. And yet we value these truths because we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, complete. And so we wait upon it as our truth. May your spirit be our teacher today. Keep from our hearts uh, distractions that the wicked one may implant and May we again feast upon this as with uh, the believers of times past. In Christ's name, amen. You know, we've talked somewhat about the background of this epistle, this letter, and we've talked about it as an understanding of a time of, of hardship, 
of persecution. Uh, these believers are experiencing trials and testings of faith, but those are trials and testings that God had permitted. God placed them in these in order that they would be in growing in their relationship with him. No doubt these were persecutions of hardship for these earliest Christians and something we can only imagine how it actually was. Yet, if you sit down and you read the rest of the book of James, and I know some of you have, you recognize that there's much more contained in there. James talks more specifically about certain topics of spiritual struggles that they were experiencing. Um, things that we would say, well, that's common for us. You know. um, examples, James talks about understanding the relationship between faith and works. Uh, he talks about the relationships of, of the tongue, the proper use of it. He talks about the display of true wisdom, bringing a friend with God and a friend of the world, how those things are to fit about. And then the value of humility and patience and prayer. And you think all of those topics, and really none of them join together as say, oh, that makes sense. But they are, as we've said before, in this being a practical book, they are all talking about the issues of life that these Jewish Christians in this first century were dealing with, much like believers have all through history. The topics may seem completely unrelated, yet they are critical as they're addressed to the growth and to the development of the believer. So James writes for the understanding that God is looking upon these Christians, and he's as, as all time, and he allows, he permits trials and tribulations and testings to be put upon their faith in order to develop them, in order to help them to grow. And in specifics, he talks about these areas of, of the Christians here in, uh, that, in James' purview. If you would, look back in your Bibles to 17 and 18. It's a part that we've talked about already, yet I want us to see again the character of God as it relates to God's intention unto the development of his children. What does God look like, or how is God to be seen as he's dealing with his children? 17, every, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. As they're experiencing trials, maybe some severe, or as they're going through situations that we would refer to as there's this normal uh, spiritual conflicts, James wants to remind them of the source of why these are being permitted in, in, into their life. So he says the one who's permitted this or given them, he says he's given them as a, every good and perfect gift. From verse 2, trials, again, hardly seem to be joyous. He's counted all joy when these things happen to you. It doesn't make sense unless I understand that these are being permitted by a loving God in order to develop me, in order to cause me to be more like Jesus Christ, my Savior. The character of this God, I'd like you to listen to Jesus' own words in Matthew 25. And he talks about this God who is overseeing these things, in relationship to the principles of trials and tribulations. Listen to this. 
Jesus says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Oftentimes that's partly what we connive as being trials of life, you know. Or am I going to get something to eat? Or what am I going to buy? Or how can I, yeah, da, 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 you know. Jesus says all of the standard things of life, he says take no thought of it. Is not the life more than meat, the body more than raiment, meaning clothes? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. You, know, you look at the... Mama's got a, a skirt, you know, very fall colors. And we're going down the road and she says, look at that. That's just like my skirt, you know. How, the beauty of all these is... We, we can labor and we can toil, but we cannot produce or reproduce that which God has brought before us. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which, is this, which today is, tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles do seek. That's what the world seeks. The world drives after. How are we going to live? You know? And he closes the verse with, For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. In all of our trials and all of our tribulations, small and all of our struggles and spirituals, uh, 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 things horizontal and even vertical. He says, God's not ignorant of anything. He's a good God. He is a great God, and he provides. And that's the context to come where James comes in and he, and, he, and he speaks of this one. Verse 18 of our text. Of his own will, this is the will of God, begat he us. Begat. How many of you use the word Begat. You know, <laughs> we were born into his family. We became his children. God brought us into his family because it was his will. The Apostle Paul uh, calls um, Colossians and Colossians 1.5, the gospel is the word of truth. He says the instrument that God used was with the word of truth. 1 Peter 1.23 says we were born again by the word of God. He, it was by his will that he brought us into his family as his children. And what was the instrument he used? What does he say? The word of, don't be afraid, truth. Truth. The word of truth. The gospel. That's the instrument that he used to bring us into his family. And for what purpose? That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. First fruits were the best of the harvest. 
the very first things that were brought for the sacrifice. Not the old crummy sides tipped over the side of, you know, whatever, you know, the very first. And he says, you became his children so you could be the best, his first fruits, in order that we would be able to serve him. And so James says that because God has put so much honor upon his word, because God has put so much honor upon the word of truth, he says this indeed is how the gospel has brought it. Verse 19, wherefore, in other words, because of this, because the Bible is, the word of truth is, because the gospel is, my beloved brethren, let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Because God is so good, because God uses his word of truth to bring us to himself, how we approach the word is of utmost importance to James and ought to be of utmost importance to us. If this was the instrument that God uses to accomplish his will to make us his children, the word of truth, what do we think of it? Eh, it's just the Bible. No. Um, we had a, uh, an opportunity every day to open that word and even here this morning. Swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Those three by themselves garner real truth, even in the world, you know. But all together, when they're bound together, there's even more power, there's even more truth that's brought into them. And I want to look at these three instances that James edifies our hearts with. Let every man be swift to hear, uh, ready to listen, be prepared to listen. That's always the emphasis of what he's shown us. In the secular world, I think every teacher does his or her best work to be, maybe to be able to make those students be prepared to listen to the lesson today. Be prepared, but not only to listen, but to be able to take from that class what they've learned and have it buried in their hearts and to be able to be used in practical life. Not only just listening with the ears, because when test time comes, what you just hear in your ears is it going to translate to a good grade. And so it is all with life. Somebody's training a new employee, that new employee better listen attentively to those sessions, otherwise that piece of equipment or that computer program or whatever is not going to make it, and you're going to be without a job. A guy who's in military training, he better listen to the instruction, he better be prepared to receive that which is being taught, because lives are at stake. And so it all is in life. He says, be, be swift, be ready, be prepared to listen. And it may be kind of a shock to you to know that pastors desire the same thing of their flocks. Oh, really? You know, they, they would want the flocks to be able to hear what's being presented, not only from the pulpit, but from every avenue upon which God's word is presented. For us, that means that I need to be prepared physically and emotionally and spiritually to listen to the word of life. Years ago, Dr. Abraham Lathan, who was the founding pastor of what was at the time the Bible Presbyterian Church in, in Chester, um, we met his daughter, who was uh, 
just a, a dear saint, uh, the last one of the children. And he says, Papa had us every night, and there were three children, if I'm not mistaken. Every night, Saturday night, he says, he'd quiz us on our Bible. He'd quiz us on catechisms. Sunday morning, he'd quiz us on the Bible again. He says, I want you to be prepared as you enter into God's house on Sunday to be able to receive, to be able to grow. Physically, we can't do that if we're not prepared mentally, spiritually, and physically to receive the very same thing. Sometimes we think of it as a principle of truth that when the pastor presents a message, somehow he's added in there kind of a, uh, a spiritual trick. You know, when I finish this message and I say the words of the benediction and I snap my finger three times, you will forget everything that you've heard. You know? Sometimes it seems like that when the questions come. Oh, well, pastor, what about this? And I said, were you listening? You know? Well, what about this issue? Or we fall into the same pitfalls that was previously discussed in the church. If you recall Jesus' parable of the sower, he talked about the word of God being presented to uh, the disciples who were there. And, and uh, in the first sower that went out, he says, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, the seed, in other words, and it was trodden down and the fowls of the air devoured it. And Jesus comes and presents not only the four sowers, but he presents the answer to it. And he says, the seed is the gospel. So in this first one, he says, and when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, this is following the, the first one who has sowed, and understandeth not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away all that was sown in his heart. Jesus says, as the word of God goes forth, there are occasions upon which it is falling upon a heart that has been a hardened, non-trodden down type of heart. And, and all of a sudden, he says, Satan comes along and snatches it away. I hear with my ears, but all of a sudden, for some reason, as I go out, it's just like it's, it's taken away from me. I lose everything that I've received. It's not a matter of understanding, but it's a matter of reception. There's no depth to the soil of the heart. So the seed lays on the surface eaten by birds, or we would say it is Satan snatching it away. We listen, but so often there's no depth to our hearing. There's no depth to our understanding. There's no depth to the reception of what we've heard. Therefore, the Holy Spirit has nothing to take and to make profit out of those things which God's word has been presented. If you would look in your majesty hymnal to 367. a hymn written by uh, Emily Grimes. And just look at the words that she pens here. Speak, Lord, in the stillness. Speak, Lord, to me. Hush my heart to listen. Keep my thoughts on thee. How I need thy presence. How I need thy care. Speak, Lord, in the stillness as I kneel in prayer. Calm the storms within me. Drive away the fears. Quiet Every murmur, wash away my tears. How I need to, 
how I need thy wisdom, how I need thy power. Teach me, Lord, to listen in the quiet hour. Help me trust thy goodness. Let me know thy will. Fill me with thy spirit. Keep my calm and still. May I trust thee fully. May my faith increase. Keep my heart forever in thy perfect peace. Emily Grimes writes this because she says there is an approach to God's word. And in the stillness, not only we're not talking about quiet, you can have all kinds of noise, but in the stillness of my heart, Lord, speak to me. I'm prepared to listen to you. I want to listen to you. Lord, speak to that. Now we come to the second section of what James has presented. We add, let every man be slow to speak. Slow to speak. You can imagine he is not talking about slow speaking. It has nothing to do with that. But in essence, he's a matter of a person's response to words. James gives us an awful lot about speech and the tongue in chapter 3, and we'll spend more time there. But again, in the matter of the secular world, the evidence of mankind's failure surrounds us. Especially hours before a national election, there's no shortage of fast talk. There's no shortage of replies and responses. Words being tossed about without consideration of what they do and what they can do. Social media has provided us with an avenue to speak my mind. I want to tell people, but is it the right thing? Am I slow to speak? Other examples can be found with people that you might be familiar with. People who can't wait to get a word in edgewise because they know it. They know the answers. They know the situation. Or to those who jump into a conversation or an argument and they don't know the whole story. They want to give their opinion. They want to give their purview of these things. They strongly voice their opinion and often in the end have created no small amount of dissension. Actually, hearing and speech go together quite nicely. There's a Greek philosopher by the name of Epictetus. He's known for writing, we have two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. Sounded like something from, you know, uh, more, more recent times, but back with the Greeks, another unknown source says, the ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction, but the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to hedge it in and to keep within proper bounds. The ancients understood this relationship. One more old adage, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool and to open one's mouth and to remove all doubt. The reaction between what I hear and what I say, there's unusual responses in life. How many relationships have been damaged or ruined because we were slow to speak, or slow to listen, and quick to speak? How many mistakes could have been avoided had we only listened instead of talking? Oftentimes it is our reaction to say something that we need to say. And the biblical side, and again, this is what James is talking about. There are three valid principles, you know, 
but in the biblical side, because he's saying the word of God is that which we're looking at, what God has given unto us, we understand it to be a very special, slow to speak Christians. And it kind of raises some questions as you go through the New Testament especially. We're kind of encouraged to be able to talk, you know, not to keep silent. We want to spread the word of God. We want to be ambassadors of the word of Christ. We're expected to be talking. And yet what he's actually saying here is that we are to weigh our words. We are to weigh the words that we say in the light of the gospel. This is the word of life. And our reactions oftentimes should not be presented. I told him what they needed to hear, and it's the truth that the Bible says it's wrong. What's wrong with me telling it? Was I listening? Did I shoot off from the hip quite rapidly with my shotgun? I haven't listened, haven't paid attention, quick to jump into the defense of what we felt was right. How many lives have been ruined with that? Christians need to be mindful of this admonition. For preachers, I think especially, some will come to the pulpit or fill the classroom holding Bible in hand and they have a personal pound of flesh, an axe to grind. This is what I want to say and you better hear it, you people. We were leaving the Philippines and we were at one group of a church, very nice, very nice people. And they were talking about another missionary who uh, was about to leave the field forever and go back to the States. And they got up and they told us, and he says, we were so excited to hear what Pastor so-and-so had to say. And, you know, he, a lot of years he spent with us and this and that. And he said he got up and he blasted us. He, he just ripped into us. And, and when we finished, we all sat looking at each other like, Wow, what happened, you know? As Christians, as those who represent the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be mindful. We are to dispense the word of life. We are to present the word of God, which God holds dearly, which God presents unto us as tremendous truth. And then, the final admonition, let every man be slow to wrath, and we include verse 20 here because he's given it to us. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Not listening, fast speaking, can produce what? A short fuse. <laughs> How often has that been the case? James understands that what he's presenting unto us is a valuable truth that oftentimes we've fallen into. I'd ask you to open your Old Testament to Numbers chapter 20. And there's an interesting situation in the life of Moses that I want us to be able to see here as a great application of these particular truths. Numbers 20. Remember the children of Israel have left Egypt. They are on their way to the promised land. Normally it would have been about a 10-day journey. It ended up taking them 40 years. Then the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Who is Miriam? 
Moses' sister. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And why have ye brought us up into up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there. And wherefore have ye made us to come out of Egypt, up out of Egypt and to bring us into this evil place? There's no place for seeds or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. They chode with them. They were like, Nipping dogs, you know, they're ah, you know, ah, just I'm all upset. No water. Uh, they're, they're just an uproar. And think of Moses. He's not only experiencing the very same things that the people were, you know, a million and a half. But his sister died. And Miriam was so special to him. And all of a sudden, you know, he's there, and then he's no water, and, the, and he feels these same things. And no doubt there is. And I, and I take it to, to what James writes to these people, and he says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, trials, you know. This is a, a trial that God had placed the children of Israel in. This is a test of their faith. You know, if God led them out of the land successfully, brought them through the Red Sea, crushed the Egyptian army, and comes into this place, promises a promised land for them, and they get to this end, it's just another test of faith. And again, you can't imagine the tension that existed in the camp at this time. Verse 6. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, And the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of this rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beast drink. You know, James talks to those Jewish believers and he says, the answer is in the Lord. He says, God's word, you know, he he saved you by it. Uh, This is the instrument of his hand. And, And here Moses and Aaron understand the only source of me getting through this uh, James, in those first four verses, he says, if you don't know what's going on, he says, ask for wisdom, and God gives it liberally. And they don't know what to do. So what does he do? They go into the tent, and they said, Lord, what do you want? He said, simple. Just take the rod, go out before the people, speak to the rock. Any of you ever tried that? By the way? Hope not. Hope not. And he says, it's going to give forth water. Verse 9. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Ooh. Something occurred from the place of the tabernacle to the rock 
that just switched off everything that he knew in his head, but not applied in his heart. He knew in his head what he had to do. And, and for me, I, I, I try to put myself in Moses' place. My sisters died. I'm thirsty. I'd love some of those figs and pomegranates. I, you know, I'd like, and then all of the, it's your fault, it's your fault, your fault, your fault. And he snaps. And he snaps. And he says, must we, who is the we? Must God and I fetch you water? You know, all of a sudden Moses becoming from the servant of the Lord, he puts himself up in a position of, of authority. Must God and I, you know, must we do it, you rebels, um, and fetch. The seed fell and it fell on shallow ground. The word of God that had been sprinkled in Aaron and Moses' ears and into their heart wasn't buried deep into the soil of their heart. It fell on the, the, the hardened ground of his heart. It never took deep root. And so when it came to apply the truth of the word of God, he couldn't. He allowed the tension of the time to cause the birds of the air, Satan, to come in and, and to rob him of the truth of the word of God. Verse 11, Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod he smote the rock twice and the water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their beast also. Slow to wrath? Hmm? I don't think so. 12, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which, the, which I have given them. All of a sudden, of all of the years of his faithful servants in Egypt and on through the wilderness and all of these things, all of a sudden God says, you don't go in to the promised land. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. God says, you can't go into the promised land. And Moses died. He, he's up on the mountain, and he looks over, and he says, there's the promised land. And he knows, I can't go over there, you know, because God told me. He didn't allow the word of God to permeate his heart, to make application of it. He didn't take those three admonitions of being slow to listen, or to fast. He was listening fast. He was quick to speak, and the wrath of of, of, of Moses poured out upon the people and he lost out. It was only God's grace that supplied the water that came out and supplied the people that were there. You go to the book of Deuteronomy and uh, Moses is on his deathbed and he calls the children of Israel, to, the leaders of the children of Israel together and he says, uh, uh, one final word guys, he said, God is a God of truth and righteousness and just. Whatever God does is right. In other words, what he did to me was right. I was the one who missed uh, the point that he was trying to instruct. Um, you know, when it comes to God's word, we don't have the privilege to be able to say, I will look at this and not look at this. I'll obey this and not this. This is easier to do and not this. It is here given to us as the means to bring us not only to salvation, but to bring us through life. You know, all scripture 
given by the hand of God, in instructing us in order that we would know what to do and what not to do. What is an error and what is not an error? And if I take it and if I just say, ah, it's okay. Yeah, there it is, you know. <laughs> if it's not used, if it's not applied, if I, don't, if I don't pry it, then how will I get through any of it? You know, James says these things that have been given to us are not only practical, but they are to develop us, to mold us, to make us more like Christ who has brought us to himself. And if I ignore it, if, if I don't dig into it, if I don't feast upon it, I profit nothing from it. Use the avenues that God's given. Uh, obviously, our worship service time, your personal devotion time. Uh, spend time in his word. Uh, find a good devotional book. Uh, allow yourselves to feast from this banquet table and make it a part of your regular day. Allow the Spirit of God to say, this is valuable for you today. Open your heart for it. Make sure this word profits you each and every day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the work that um, the Spirit had done in the life of James to bring reality to the hearts and minds of the believers in his day. Thank you for the examples found in Old and New Testament of these very things being prepared to listen to you and your word by your spirit, to be slow to um, judge the work of others or using our words to be uh, not in bounds with the truths of the scripture and, and to stay away from a heart that's angry, using our words in order to find uh, condemnation or judgment on others when there's no place for it. Um, thank you for your word. We love it. We need your hand to direct us into being children of the word, uh, to feast upon it, to allow it to nourish our souls, to guide our steps. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.